Welcome to Future Forecast, the podcast where we discuss technology, leadership, and sustainability with some of the most influential leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We explore their insights into some of the most exciting trends and topics of our time and learn from their personal experiences. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness, and today we'll be talking about exponential technology, entrepreneurship, and building a radically new future. Our special guest today is Pascal Finit co-founder of Radical Ventures and Singularity University's Chair of Entrepreneurship and Open Innovation. Pascal has founded a series of technology startups. He's led eBay's Platform Solutions Group in Europe, launched a consulting firm helping entrepreneurs with their strategy and operations, and invested into early-stage tech startups. He's held important positions at Mozilla and Google and publishes the opinionated newsletter The Heretic, which is read by tens of thousands of changemakers globally. He's contributed to several best-selling books and is a globally renowned and acclaimed public speaker, having lectured at several top schools globally. Pascal, we are thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. So happy to hear that. To start off things, we have two standard questions. And I know that you are calling in from Silicon Valley, so it's actually morning your time. But why don't you give our listeners an insight into your morning routine? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm a huge coffee uh, addict and a huge coffee fanatic. Um, so I, the most important thing for me in the morning is like literally when I roll out of bed um, to make espresso based coffee. Um, so I have a pretty nice setup here. Um, I invest quite a bit of time and energy and money uh, into this. Um, <laughs> so the first, uh, the first and most important thing is I'm making coffee and then I uh, take that coffee and I go back to bed and uh, uh, pick up my uh, my tablet and uh, kind of catch up what's happened during the night in terms of the news and emails and, of course, uh, uh, what my friends around the world are doing uh, on Instagram. I, I've, I feel like I remember you telling me that you read hundreds of blogs a day. You have a special way of reading them, don't you? Uh, yeah, the way my brain works is uh, I, I process a lot of. Inf- I need to process a lot of information to see um, patterns in kind of like the the soup of data. Um, so one thing I do is I do uh, skim a lot of blog posts. So probably on average somewhere between five hundred and a thousand a day. And make no mistake, I don't read them. I skim them, right? Because um, it allows me to see patterns. It allows me to kind of get a sense of what's happening. So that's part of the uh, the morning routine for sure as well. That's incredible. I wish I knew how to do that. Um, moving on to the next question. When was the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone? Um, that's a really good question. I, I think I ask myself this uh, on a regular basis. Uh, in small ways, I believe we do it every single day. Um, when, you know, like you pick up the phone and you call someone you have never spoken to before and it's a cold call um, that never, at least for me, never felt like, the most natural and and easiest thing to do. Um, probably in a bigger way, um, I quit about a year ago my full-time employment uh, role at Singularity University, where I was v- vice president for all the startup programs, um, to found Radical, um, which I know we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, but that was surely was a big step forward. Um, it felt like the absolute right thing to do, but of course, it's always uh, you always have the niggling feeling of like, man, am, am I doing the right thing here? I'm leaving this amazing thing behind. So, you know, it's always uh, there's always a little bit of of discomfort. 
Uh, yeah, I bet. Uh, congratulations on that, though. Uh, and I can't wait to hear more about Radical. And uh, actually, let's just dive into that uh, immediately, because uh, through your work at SU and Radical, you work with several business leaders and organizations to understand digitization and new business models and technology and all these kinds of things. And I've heard the I've had the pleasure of uh, hearing you speak uh, many times, especially on the tremendous impact exponential technology is having on us. But for the listeners who are not completely familiar with the term exponential, could you give us a brief overview of what exponential technology is and what the biggest shifts we're seeing in society as a result of exponential technology and maybe just a few examples? Mm -hmm. Sure, of course. Um, So uh, if you unpack this, this, somewhat weird term um you start with exponentials and exponentials of course if you remember back in your math class whatever it was like eighth grade or something uh is typically a doubling every time period so um the uh these these trends um move on what uh when you plot it out looks a lot like a hockey stick so they they get um towards the the later end of the curve get very steep very quickly and the the big insight singularity was founded on uh, is that a lot of technology actually moves on this exponentially accelerating curve. Best and probably well-known is uh, what we call Moore's Law, uh, which describes this exponential curve um, or the, this exponential growth for computing, where uh, Gordon Moore 50 years ago um, uh, made a, prog- uh, a prognosis where he said basically what we're going to see is computers doubling in in their capacity basically every two years at the same price point. And this has been true for 50 years. Now, this leads to an incredible increase in compute power, meaning that the phone in your pocket today is as powerful as a supercomputer was, you know, 30 years ago. Um, and we see this in many other industries and and sectors as well. So uh, computing is one. And then, of course, with computing comes AI and robotics. Uh, but we're seeing it in uh, biology and synthetic biology, so genetics, um, we see it in the declining price of renewable energy, particular solar cells, um, and so on and so on. So uh, you take that inside and then uh, you look at these curves. And I think the most important thing uh, for us as humans, uh, and I make a point about this when I, when I speak about this, is uh, to understand that we perceive the world in a very linear fashion. We see the world very linearly. Our brain is wired to understand the world linearly. Whereas, you know, again, like the world of technology moves on this weird exponential curve. And that leads to an interesting outcome where it's really hard for us to understand exponential trends intuitively um, and in our gut. Um, The famous example, uh, Peter Diamandis, the co-founder of Singularity University, always uses is the 30-step example. Uh, So you take 30 linear steps one after the other, you get to 30 meters, you take 30 exponential steps, everyone doubles uh, from the last one, and you get to a billion meters, which is 25 times around planet Earth. So in the same time frame, you go from 30 meters to 25 times around planet Earth. Um, And again, like I think the, the biggest shift we need to do in our thinking is to just adjust our thinking towards this exponential growth. Uh, that was a fantastic explanation. Thank you. Um, I know that a lot of organizations are curious, but for, perhaps not fully aware of how their businesses are going to be impacted by the dramatic developments in technology, uh, many of which you just described. But what are the most common reasons that businesses and leaders and entrepreneurs come to you? What questions are they asking? And how do you typically answer them? Yeah, I think the the big question is like, uh, at the forefront of everybody's mind is like, what will tomorrow look like? 
Um, and what do I need to learn and what do I need to know to be successful in this world? And I think the, um, uh, the answer is, of course, pretty nuanced and it's, um, uh, it depends from industry to industry and company to company. Um, but the, uh, the big insight I think we, we can give people is you need to really shift your mindset. You really need to shift your thinking um, in terms of how do you see this world um, and how do you also um, learn and unlearn and um, uh, how do you create skills which are applicable for this new world? Because there's a lot of ambiguity um, uh, in this new world and the new world will be pretty volatile and um, moves in a very different way. And I think the big thing leaders need to learn is how to learn um, and how to um, how to create the skill set and the insights to be successful in this new world, much more so than the actual outcome, because the outcome, you know, the future is unwritten. We don't know what the future will be. Um, we can all just take good guesses. Exactly. And and I know that you uh, that actually bridges very well into the next question, because you recently launched Radical Ventures. Congratulations again. And uh, Radical Ventures is uh, basically a way to inspire people to build a radically different future by staying ahead of exponential technologies and be able to successfully bring cutting edge technologies to their organization. Uh, But first, basically, because I'm very curious, what does a radically different future look like? Um, so for us, the the way we're looking at the radically different future is um, not just the understanding of what does the future will look like in terms of like the exponential nature of the future. But the big question for us becomes, how do you leverage those um, trends to really create meaningful solutions in this world? Um, and if you look at the way the world looks like today um, and the, the challenges we have in this world uh, in terms of like the big, you know, what uh, singularity calls the global grand challenges or uh, the United Nations calls the sustainable development goals. Um, I think there's numerous challenges we have to overcome uh, if we want to have a prosperous, um, happy planet and happy lives for all of us. And I think the ability to leverage technology to solve some of the world's biggest problems, and we see organizations, um, as you well know from your time at Singularity University, tackle these problems and really make them go away is unprecedented uh, because technology allows us to do this. And for us, the radical future is how do we leverage technology to solve some of these really, really big problems? And and how do you actually do that? I mean, how do you work with people to inspire them to want to create that future with you? So in our case, um, what we really focus on is, uh, first of all, mindset shift. So helping people to understand a different future, um, which is a good chunk of the game. And then for us, it's the other one is um, how can we help you help yourself? Um, so we have a philosophy, uh, which is uh, we are not a consultancy. We are not a an organization which creates the future for you um, or creates a product or a service for you. Um, we are here to support you and your team on your own journey, uh, because what we believe is that you have everything you need inside of your organization or you know how to get it. Um, all you need is effectively a a thought partner, um, a coach. What a really good coach would basically do with you to get you to that point, which you can see. And so I know your work focuses on the intersection of technology and global impact and culture, and you inspire and educate and empower entrepreneurs 
corporate irritants. I read that uh, on your uh, website and change makers to tackle all of these huge problems. And and I get this sense that there is a shift happening. At least I'm witnessing that in the Nordics, where there's a wave of entrepreneurs aspiring to solve what I like to call real problems or what we call at Singularity, the global grand challenges. But then I remember back to when I lived in Silicon Valley, I guess that's now three years ago, and it seemed like a lot of great talent was going to more fluffy problems with nice-to-have solutions. Uh, For example, I remember watching the 500 Startups Demo Day, and there seemed to be 10 dog-walking apps for every two problem-solving founder. Uh, In your view, are we seeing a shift in focus on where we invest our resources and where talent goes? And how do you think that we could inspire founders globally to want to shift their focus and invest in solving our global grand challenges? So I think on a macro trend, you see a shift happening for sure. And I believe this is, um, quite frankly, largely driven by your generation. Um, so the, the millennials and uh, even younger, uh, younger generations really care, from my perspective, really care about solving big problems by and at large. That all being said, um, it doesn't mean that um, Silicon Valley is uh, is all uh, you know like unicorns, like happy unicorns, and solving good problem unicorns, um, and you know like flowers and dancing. And um, I, I think there's still a lot of um, uh, talent being uh, allocated and probably wasted on solving pretty benign problems. At the same time, like quite frankly, I mean, even if I look at my own career and my own trajectory. Um, by all means and measures, the first company I built was not particularly solving a big problem. Um, I think there's a uh, there's a process here where also, um, and we should be uh, a little bit more gentle on these people, is where people are learning, right? And they're they're out there and they probably build a company which doesn't matter all that much, but they learn a lot about like how do you build a company, how do you build a team, how do you build a product, um, and everything which goes with that because it's hard, and then. My hope is that, you know, once they have learned all that uh, and they probably also made some money, you know, which would be good for them, is that they then uh, shift their focus towards like some of the really big problems in the world. Um, so I'm, I'm in two minds about this. Like, you know, every once in a while I get uh, very similar, like you get annoyed about what I'm <laughs> seeing in the world. And then every once in a while I'm also like thinking, you know, like just be gentle and, and on these people and like they will find their way. And I see more and more, as, as you, you rightfully pointed out, I see around the world more and more entrepreneurs tackling really big problems because really big problems also not they're not just satisfying to solve but they're also often really interesting business opportunities exactly and i mean that also brings me to the next question because you've been an entrepreneur yourself as you mentioned and you currently are Uh, and i know that you've also worked closely with a lot of different entrepreneurs myself included from around the world Um, but from everything that you've seen and learned and experienced yourself what do you think it takes to succeed? What are the most important things to think about? Big you know, question. I've been thinking about, yeah, I've been thinking about this question a lot. And um, I'm not quite sure if I have the, 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 magic, uh, the magic answer to that. I believe it comes down to a couple factors, probably. And they're less like very specific skills, but more factors. One is, I believe it's really important for entrepreneurs, and I see this unfortunately with where with a lot of young entrepreneurs, they don't fully understand this um, because I believe that they're, you know, like this, they read the press and and have a wrong image of entrepreneurship, which is the notion that it just takes time to build a company. I mean, there's a reason why the average lifespan of a venture capital firm is about 
you know, somewhere around seven years. And all the companies I've seen, by and at large, they take five, seven, ten years to build a um, a successful business. Um, so uh, there is a piece in there which is like you need to be you need to be willing to be in it for a long run if you want to be successful. Um, very rarely do you find companies which are you know like super successful and being sold or whatever uh, within a year or two. So I think that's that's one. And then um, the second one is really around having a healthy a healthy ability to have hold the duality between a vision and that vision being out there and crazy and uh, probably a little outlandish and the ability to execute against that vision. I also find that is typically hard because you need to be able to step away from your vision and say, you know, like have a very harsh view on yourself and say like what worked, what didn't work, where are the shortcomings, where are my, my failures while at the same time being able to hold the vision and like have that propel you forward. I think that's a, it's a pretty hard uh, trait to find in an entrepreneur um, and something you need to cultivate. But I, again, like I think those are the, the core points for me, at least uh, on a high level when it comes to be successful as an entrepreneur. So I guess, I mean, those two factors, I mean, it's perseverance and then it's being able to execute on a vision. But if you combine the two and you, actually maybe are have have a really bad idea and you just continue going on it because you're well keeping these two kind of uh, motivations in the back of your mind when should you quit i mean when should you know when it's when it's time to to think differently i think that's the million dollar question right you see i think the the first point about that question like the the notion of like when you have a bad idea and granted there's a gazillion bad ideas out there I think that has a lot to do with your ability to step away from your from your vision and being being able to self-assess and also like listen, of course, to the uh, advice from friends, um, uh, colleagues, advisors, etc. To understand that like an idea is like you're, you're beating a dead horse or the, the road you're choosing to go uh, down isn't the right one. Um, I think that's a that's a very uh, critical skill you need to hone. And again, like you need to have the at the same time, you need to hold the ability to say, no, I know I'm right. And I'm pushing against this um, against this wall. So I think it's 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 a very tricky. Uh, uh, that's a very tricky and, and very tight balance to uh, to hold as an entrepreneur. Figuring out like when an idea is, is really like just doesn't get you any there anywhere anymore. It's a really good question. Again, like uh, in a lot of cases, I find entrepreneurs like if they have the vision, if they have the passion and they have enough validation from external people who say, well, you know, like it's not right yet, but like the direction at least is the right one. I'll, I'll say persevere, like try to get through it. If you hear from everybody basically that you're wrong and, and you hear it in ways which are not just, you know, like the classic, like um, European way of like, let me t- tell you 15 reasons why something doesn't work, uh, particularly as a German, I'm, uh, I'm very, very good at that. I, I think that's, you should, you should consider, you definitely should consider as like, you know, listen to other people, like, like understand like what they're saying. So I guess the recipe for success is uh, not necessarily given. If, if if there was one true recipe, I think we would all follow that. 
But maybe it's easier to look at the most common pitfalls. What would you say they are? Because I remember you being very um, strict with me in terms of, or actually not just me, it was our entire class uh, when I was at SU in 2016. You had uh, a lot of different uh, good advice for the most common pitfalls that entrepreneurs tend to fall in. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple around, right? So anything from uh, not understanding how the funding process works uh, to every entrepreneur on this planet believing that they need to re- raise venture capital, which, by the way, is not right, is not the truth. Um, I think there's a much deeper understanding you need to figure out, like in terms of like what your what your funding landscape looks like and what the alternatives are to venture capital. Um, to just the really, quite frankly, the common sense basics of actually how do you run a company. So the, uh, we see a lot, a lot, a lot of companies just like. Not dying because the idea was bad or the product was bad, but dying because execution was poor or because the team fell apart or they were obsessing about the wrong things, mostly obsessing about internal things, obsessing about which color the damn logo is versus calling customers and figuring out like what customers actually want in terms of the product. There's a beautiful saying of uh, or a beautiful model which um, the Google X team developed. Uh, which they call tackle the monkey first. And the idea goes that they say, if you have a, uh, you want to create a, uh, or train a Shakespeare sighting monkey who stands on a plinth, on a pedestal, um, the question becomes, what do you build first? And I guarantee you, most entrepreneurs will build the pedestal first because it's the thing we know how to do. Um, but the problem is you still don't have the monkey and you can still very most likely fail. So the idea is figure out what is the hardest thing you can possibly do and do that first, um, validate that or devalidate it first um, before you go to anything else. And, um, you know, I see this like all the time is like, and, you know, I'm surely guilty as charged here um, where people spend time on like creating their business cards and their nice website and their logo and all the stuff we know how to do, but we haven't actually validated the, the product. So become incredibly obsessed about your product and your customer. Um, and I think you're in a pretty good shape. I think that's excellent advice. And I've been reading your newsletter, The Heretic, for many, many years, Um, (laughs) which of um, I think really our listeners should know that it's a short form blog, right? Distributed via email every single week. And it focuses on basically every aspect of an entrepreneur's journey, be it funding and pitching and tackling your ego and inspiring your team. Can you tell me what inspired you to start this blog? Yeah, it has an interesting story. So um, I originally wrote this basically just for myself and a few friends. And then I sent it out as literally an email from my uh, desk like about eight, nine years ago. Um, And then my friends started forwarding it to other people saying like, hey, this is pretty interesting. Um, So we set up a – at one point, I got inundated with people like saying like, add me to this email list, which literally was like an email I sent manually from uh, from my Gmail account. Um, so we set up a little newsletter thing, um, and that grew, and then we ultimately set up the website. But the the idea for me was that as I was interacting with entrepreneurs um, at the time I was at Mozilla running the innovation lab there, as I was being entrepreneurial inside of an organization, um, there were all these little insights, these little nuggets of like uh, thoughts. And I used the newsletter, and to this day I use the newsletter to pick up a particular theme or an idea and use the newsletter to digest it, pr- quite frankly, mostly for myself. It's mostly for me as I said, like this point of reflection 
And then I write it down and send it out. And apparently, um, it uh, is somewhat useful to some people. So it has it has grown uh, uh, not quite exponentially, but it has grown uh, quite a bit, and um, is still a, like a, a really lovely, uh, nice community. And the the one thing I should uh, say about this newsletter, which I love probably most, is um, when you get the newsletter and you hit reply, uh, you actually send me an email. Um, and it's uh, probably one of the coolest things is that the responses I get from some people where they start, you know, arguing with me or discussing or saying like, hey, I had the same thing. Here's what I saw. Um, so I learn a lot from the people who read the newsletter. Um, so it's it's a, it's a really fun little community. I truly recommend our listeners to read that newsletter. I've enjoyed it myself very many times and it's 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 great because it's so short that it doesn't you don't have to like sit down and read read you can basically just digest it uh anytime you want um which is which is awesome but i want to go into another avenue um and that is coaching because i've also had the pleasure of having you as my coach and you truly i think are one of the most remarkable people in helping other people to understand themselves and their own motives and behaviors and thoughts in order to land on the right pathway in life. And I know that both you and your wife, Jane Finette, have uh, invested a lot of time in helping other people through coaching. But unfortunately, our audience can't all have you as your uh, or their coach. But I thought that I would help or challenge you to help us understand what questions we should be asking ourselves and <laughs> what you typically find are challenges for perhaps especially entrepreneurs and leaders when you talk to them. How do you help them uh, go down the right path yeah i think as a leader to be successful you first need to really understand yourself and i think the um the first question you should ask yourself is like how much time do you um invest into yourself and how much time do you actually um spend really reflecting on who we are and how we show up etc and it, it's remarkable it's like most of us don't do that and even if we go to leadership training so if you have been in a in a corporation for example and they sent you to leadership training Leadership training is typically skill-based, uh, skill-based training. Um, so it's mostly, you know, stuff you learn, like how do you do a presentation or how do you create a PowerPoint or, you know, all that good stuff. And I think the really interesting question to ask, and those are pretty deep questions. Of course, it's like there's many, many layers to that onion to be peeled away. Uh, but the really interesting question to ask are really around who am I? How do I show up? And also, I think it's interesting to look into what can't I be with? So kind of like the negative side of it. Like what is the stuff which really irritates me? What is the stuff which gets me all like riled up and like really stirs this inner, inner uh, conflict for me? Because what this typically points to is situations where some of your most fundamental values and beliefs are challenged. So if you can identify those, you can turn them around and can say, what is the value and the belief I actually hold? Because I believe that what happens is when you understand your values and your beliefs, so really like the, the essence of who you are and what you believe in the world, and this stuff doesn't change, by the way, over time, uh, you have an ability to create a, a career and a life which is in alignment with your values and your beliefs. And that's the most powerful thing possibly you can do. I know. You uh, <laughs> you helped me do that once, uh, which is uh, which is awesome. Uh, Pascal, um, you mentioned that you are from Germany and uh, many years ago, I don't know how many, but uh, you moved to Silicon Valley and you've built a very successful career there. How many years ago is it that you moved? Uh, so uh, to Silicon Valley about 10 years ago and then out of Germany about five years prior to that. So I've been haven't been back to Germany uh, proper for 15 years. 
Well, uh, well, now you definitely have a pretty thorough view of uh, the business and tech landscape, at least in Silicon Valley and probably uh, in Europe as well, too, because I know that you travel back and forth to conferences and so on. Um, could you give us, uh, for, for those of us who don't live in Silicon Valley, give us the pros and cons of being an entrepreneur either here or there and uh, maybe giving us an indication of whether you think that Europe might be catching up with Silicon Valley and if there are any positive um, or negative differences with the tech scene here and there. Mm. Let me start out with saying that I, th- I believe Silicon Valley is very unique and I think it's foolish to to try to copy Silicon Valley. I, 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 th- I see a lot of like leaders, like governmental leaders, et cetera, coming to Silicon Valley and saying, oh, I want to create like the Silicon whatever, Berlin or the Silicon Stockholm or whatever it is. And I think that's that's foolish because we should acknowledge the fact that singular that that uh, Silicon Valley is a very unique place um, with its unique culture, and uh, you know any other place in the world is also unique. Um, and we should play to that strength instead of trying to like create many copies of whatever we're doing. Um, that being said, I also believe that, um, and I see this that um, a lot of the traits in Silicon Valley are now becoming much more global in nature. Um, so you see a lot more ability to uh, create amazing companies all around the world. Um, You go to the the large tech hubs in Europe, like the Berlins of this world and London and Paris and Stockholm and Copenhagen and so on. And you can build an incredible company anywhere. We really have become like a global global network of of entrepreneurs. Um, The thing which I believe still in, in Silicon Valley, like two things I believe in my view, which makes Silicon Valley still very unique or three things. The one is, um, density of talent. There's just a lot of smart people in Silicon Valley, uh, which also means that if you're in Silicon Valley, you're typically a small fish in a very, very big pond. So keep that in mind as well. Um, so you might be uh, you might be a stellar and outstanding talent in wherever you come from. Uh, in Silicon Valley, that might not be the case. So keep that in mind. But the density of talent allows for a really um, rich interaction between people. That is fostered, and I think this is the second most imp- like the second point, and this is a point which most people don't don't fully uh, appreciate all that much. Is in Silicon Valley, people share ideas uh, and and thoughts very freely, uh, because there's a strong belief here, which is that um, ideas are cheap and plentiful. Execution is the hard part. Uh, so, unfortunately, I still uh, in European countries, for example, I still find too many entrepreneurs who are. They're, they're kind of cagey and they guard their ideas and their thoughts um, because they believe someone will steal them. And in Silicon Valley, it's the exact opposite. In Silicon Valley, you've got this idea of like, I tell you exactly what I'm doing because you will give me some feedback which will make my idea better. I think that's a really powerful thing and I, I wish to see that more in the world. And then the last one is, um, of course, um, access to capital. And uh, that's the part where I still think that, um, unfortunately, other regions around the world um, are lacking. Um, so when I see like the uh, the uh, access and the ease of getting capital here in Silicon Valley versus uh, even in the U.S. in most other locations, as well as then of course uh, Europe, is very very different. Um, so there's a there's a reality, an unfortunate reality behind um, the the capital side of things. But again, like otherwise, uh, I think overall the world is becoming more equal uh, in terms of how you can build companies. And then there's a Strategic advantage, of course, um, being not in Silicon Valley, which is Silicon Valley, you might have heard about, is now the most expensive place to live in the U.S. Uh, So it's incredibly, incredibly expensive. 
talent is super good, but it's also super expensive. And there's a real war for talent, right? So people stay at a company for like two years until they, their shares are vested and they move on. So uh, retention is a real issue. So all these kind of things you can, you can of course, uh, battle by being not in Silicon Valley. So there's opportunity. And you mentioned uh, sharing of ideas in Silicon Valley. I think that's really true. And also, I remember from my experience there that people are very generous with their networks. Uh, it always seems like you have a huge network of experts around you. And as you mentioned, so many smart people are there and can basically take whatever you think might be a good idea and either validate it or challenge it, uh, which uh, really, really, I guess, speeds things up a lot. But uh, do you miss anything about Germany? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the politically correct answer would be, of course, yes, um, to be very frank and honest. And I think that's very unique to me as a person, too. Quite frankly, not that much. I mean, of course, my family is there and I've got lots of friends there. Uh, but I, uh, growing up in Germany, I always felt a little bit like an outsider there. And being now in Silicon Valley for the last 10 years, I, I really feel like this is home. Um, so take it with a grain of salt. I might not be your average, like, person to answer that question in in a in a in a way uh, which makes sense to to other people uh, for me personally no i i really feel at home here in silicon valley well i personally love your honesty and i uh, fully understand where you're coming from uh i remember you also gave me a bunch of good book recommendations um especially ego is the enemy <laughs> i i remember you said that every entrepreneur should read that do you have any good book recommendation that you have for our listeners yeah, sure. Um, so Ego is the Enemy is a great book for sure. I think there's a there's a whole bunch of like really good book uh, books which have come out over the last like probably like 10, 15 years. Um, one of the gems out there uh, is a book by uh, Stephen Pressfield called Do the Work. Um, it's a book he wrote about the creative process. He's a writer and um, it's a tiny little book. You read it in 90 minutes. Um, it's very powerful, I find. I give this away as a as a gift to a lot of people. And um, there's a, a crazy story where the head of engineering for a large corporation was um, visiting me. I gave him the book. He flew back to Atlanta. He read the book on the flight and calls me from the airport uh, when he landed and said, I just quit my job. <laughs> I read the book. I quit my job. Um, so it's a very powerful book. Um, I, I really like it. I really like to, uh, to revisit it. So I think that's a really, uh, really good book. Um, personally, um, I love reading short form probably more than I like reading books for the simple reason that I think a lot of the, particularly the business books in the world, uh, they probably are more like an essay, which should have, like, they should have been an essay and then they've been made into a book because that's how you sell these things. Mm. Um, so I read a lot of, um, a lot of short form, uh, and I, I have a, um, uh, an obsession with um, uh, flipping through Hacker News, um, the news website from Y Combinator, um, which is probably the world's best accelerator. And uh, just reading uh, reading that and, and also some of the commentary there is uh, just really excellent and thoughtful. Thank you. That was great uh, recommendations. But uh, unfortunately, Pascal, we are reaching the end of our time, even though I honestly would like to talk to you for hours. But before we let you go, uh, we have three standard questions. And the first being, if you could give your 20-year-old self two pieces of advice, what would they be? Um, the first is to, to not let get ego in your way, uh, to like go full circle to the book you just mentioned. Um, and I think the second one is to understand that if you want to build a company and you want to build a company successfully, it takes a lot of time. 
um, not just in the moment. It takes a lot of time in the long run. So be patient. And what is your favorite podcast? Quite frankly, pretty much anything uh, NPR puts out. So NPR is the public radio station here in the US, and uh, they have some really phenomenal, phenomenal podcasts. Um, uh, there's a podcast by uh, Kyle Risdale and Molly Wood, uh, which is kind of like a daily uh, kind of like wrap up of the the news in terms of um, uh, the markets and where economy is going and so on. And that is just phenomenal. Make me smart. I've heard that one. I love that myself. Now, finally, where should people go to follow you? Um, the easiest is if you, uh, so uh, the good news is, uh, the good news for me at least, is <laughs> there doesn't seem to be another Pascal Finet in the world. Uh, so the easiest is if you literally go onto Google and type in my name, you'll find pretty much everything I put out there. Otherwise, finet.com is my homepage um, that will give you like jump off points to wherever you want to go and explore more about me. Thank you so much for joining us, Pascal. This has been incredibly interesting and inspiring as always with you. And on behalf of our audience, I think I can say that we really hope that you want to come to Oslo and inspire us at a conference here soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Future Forecast podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness. Tune in next week for more insight and expert tips on technology, leadership, and sustainability. Mm -hmm.